You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to Series 10, Episode 21 of the Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm good, John, and um, it's another guest special. Um, We're pleased um, to say we are joined by... um, Representative of the Scottish Football Supporters Association, um, one of the founders, Paul Goodwin. Welcome aboard, Paul. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, it's uh, a good time to be talking to you about football fans, so we're all, we're always ready to do that. So thank you for inviting us. Yeah, not a problem. Um, yeah, we obviously know the um, one of the, the key subjects, but I'll come on to that a bit later. What I want to know, first of all, for people who don't know um, who you who you guys are? Um, just give us a background as to um, how you came about um, and what you do. Okay, um, I've been involved in fans affairs for about ten or eleven years. Um, a lot of people would know my involvement from uh, Stirling Albion, where we started the first campaign to launch a community-owned football club. So that kind of took me into the kind of fan affairs. Prior to that, I'd worked. Um, in uh, kind of marketing in the football arena uh, right across the country, mostly down in England. Um, the We as an organisation were formed uh, just over five years ago. Uh, and it really came about by a, kind of a couple of people having conversations with me um, of some note. One of them being Tony Higgins, who obviously represents the players in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, previously chairman of the Scottish Football Players Association yeah. and the other person was Henry McLeish former First Minister who obviously is heavily involved in football through the McLeish report um, and they kind of came to me and said look you know you've been involved in fans affairs you know what's going on uh, I'd worked with the Scottish government be involved with the Hearts and the Dunfermline uh, activities when they went uh, belly up and they said look you know we really think there should be an independent fans organisation uh, Tony's words were quite uh, profound. He was like, you know, the players have got a union, uh, the managers have got a union, but the fans need a union. They need somebody who can try and represent them. So from the seeds of those conversations, um, we, we looked at what was happening down in England. Uh, at that time, it was the Football Supporters Federation. And we kind of modelled what they were about by having uh, different categories. So it's basically individual members, like you and I who join and it mm-hmm. costs us nothing. You know, you're a, an individual member. I'm a Thistle fan, so I join up my Thistle fan and I put my, my shoulder to the wheel. And then the other category is uh, for fans groups, which is like, you know, for so example, the United Supporters Association or the Don Supporters Together or the Albion Rovers Trust who, who do join as members. So between those two categories, um, we have around about 74,000 members, about 30,000 individuals, and the rest, uh, the 40,000, are made up of the various fans groups. Um, so that's the way we're structured. We're all volunteers. Nobody gets paid anything. Uh, we're a community interest company. And uh, I would say we've got two objectives. Objective number one is to try and represent the fans as best we can, with the government with uh, the SFA, with the SPFL. Sometimes it's supportive. It could be, you know, you know, 
following the, the First Minister's call last week to say, look, don't travel down to Blackpool because it's dangerous and so on and so forth. Um, or it could be something more stark where, you know, in the past we've gone head to head with Stuart Reagan when he was trying to charge £45 for a Scotland international against yeah, a lower right team. Mm-hmm. We would stand up and say, not good enough, not happy. So that's the first area of what we're trying to do. We would lobby, we would petition, we would you know, shout loudly, fans have an issue. The second area is uh, a big gap, which we believe uh, football's not really structured in a way in Scotland because of the finances, where um, sadly our football authorities don't really promote the game. Um, there's lots of fantastic work done at individual clubs and lots of you know charities and trusts and things like that happening in the work during the pandemic. The pandemic particularly has been awesome. Um, but what we want to try and do is uh, coordinate and organise and see where we see opportunity, actually help promote the Scottish game because we all love it, we believe in it, and uh, we want it to, to thrive. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. It sounds fairly simple and straightforward, but I pretty much working at full time. Um, and uh, we've got a group of volunteers uh, round about up nearly 20 now who have allocated different tasks and um, it's grown brilliantly. It's going really, really well. Oh, that's good. Well, I'm glad to hear that it's, it's going well from your point of view because when you see things that have been happening um, from the period April April to July when everything came up about the, how we end the season, etc., um, when you looked at some of the statements um, from, from from chairman, which um, in my personal opinion were pretty pathetic um, and pretty childish, but that's just a personal opinion, um, and the way fans were slagging each other off um, online, etc., that perception looks as though fans groups, um, fans individual clubs, could not be further apart. Listen, you know, every single thing we do as an organisation, um, there's going to be a, a counterbalance to it. So we cannot, it's impossible for a national body to all agree, to everybody to agree to the same thing. I think a few things, if we pick on the things that we do all agree on, do Scottish football fans have a say in how the game's run? The answer is no. I think there's a universal feeling about that. Should we have better representation? Absolutely. Uh, Are we treated with the respect that is, you know, the paying customer that we deserve, the answer is no. So if we work, if we work on the big issues and, and and say we all agree in all of them, further down when it comes to individual issues, you know, if you're an Airdrie fan, you might well disappear, uh, dis- disagree violently with a Motherwell fan on a particular subject in Lanarkshire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Aberdeen fans will disagree with the United fans and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So we ain't going to get everybody to agree to everything. And there's always yeah. going to be the different colour of scarves will dictate on individual issues. However, I think if we go back to those big issues about governance, about oversight, about how the game's structured, mm-hmm. um, we all agree. And they're the kind of things that, you know, what we want to try and do is kind of say to everybody, look, you know, you Hearts and Hibs fans, it's great to have a bit of banter over there and have a bit of a, a laugh and wind each other up and do all that kind of stuff. Come into our collective here when we're talking about the most these most serious issues and yeah. we suspect you'll all agree. And what we need to do and what we will be doing over the next six months is up in our game to try and get fans to work together because there's still huge gaps. Um, and part of that is our fault because 
we've not had any money, we've not had the resources to go out and talk to people. And it's only in the last week to 10 days that we've actually now got a bespoke membership manager who's going to go out and fill the gaps and say to people, look, you know, because quite rightly, some of those fans organisation will say, well, what can you do for us? And in the past, it's been limited. But now we feel we're in a position where just given those situations that you've described over the last nine months, is Scottish football improving? No. Um, is the game getting taken forward with the fan in mind? No. Um, is there any plan to change that? No. Right, OK. Well, let's start and work on some of those issues, break them down and uh, let's start lobbying. Let, let's start asking fans. So this very weekend, we're starting that process by actually asking all our members to come back to us. We're doing a, a members audit to say, look, you joined a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. But we're now asking you, what do you think uh, we should focus our efforts on in the next year to nine months? And from that, we will create our own manifesto. We're loosely calling it a fanifesto just because it sounds silly. Um you know, and we'll come up. The elections are coming up. We're, we're you know, we're going to lobby right across the political parties. Because anybody who thinks that politics and football, you know, shouldn't be linked in any way, or you know, should be completely separate, they're just living on a different planet. Yeah. You know, everything is political. You know, from joint research groups or whatever it's called, GRGs who are making decisions that nobody even knows who's on it. You know, no fans were involved in it. We weren't invited. You know, so there's huge amounts that we can do. Um, you know, if we had some more money, we would be able to do it faster. But we're now in a place that we think we can kick on and try and bring some of those fans to the table. Uh, we're, we're, and just like, accept that we just can't all agree, you know. I mean, it's just, and and a lot, a lot of this, the the stuff that people don't agree on relates to what happens at three o'clock Saturday, and it doesn't matter because we're all the same apart from the colour of scarves, you know. It's just yeah. for that for that period, you know, have those rivalries, have you know, and continue to have the banter, and you know, and we all love that as fans. But in these big issues, we need you. We need you to come listen, be part of this. We don't have all the answers. Tell us what you think, you know, and we will respond. And we're now in a better place uh, to respond. So hopefully there should be more excitement coming in the next six months. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, one of your key areas that you focus on is fans' representation um, within the clubs. Um, I remember Aberdeen, my club, um, had Chris Gavin on the board for a, a while. We were one of the first to do that. You've now got St Murn who are completely fan-owned or near enough completely fan-owned. Motherwell are definitely in that position. Um, you also mentioned the Star Albion campaign. Um, in terms of getting to you know fans' representation on the more elite clubs, like Celtic and Rangers also come into that, how... How, how challenging is it? Um, you know, how, what, what's the challenges in trying to go go to like a Peter Lawwell or whoever it is at Rangers and say we need a voice um, within your group? Uh, listen, I, I think it's it goes back to the frailties that we have as an organisation because if you've got a, a, a national body who are not as strong and robust and as well represented. Um, at the national level, then once you get down into the individual components, uh, it's almost like, you know, whether it's an individual club or something, it's harder because what you that mirrors is that, um, 
you know, as some clubs you've got better representation to other than others. Now your club at Aberdeen, the Don supporters together, has has grown out the bones of the Aberdeen supporters trust, which you know, collapsed and imploded upon itself many years ago because it wasn't representative. You've now grown, you've got a good substantial member. So I think it's over 3,000. You've got elections, you have people coming through. So you're democratic. You've, you've got a decent voice at that one club. So the stronger each club is and each of those component parts are, uh, and, they, you know, if they've got good representation at a national level with us tapping into government and everything else, the easier it will become. But because we buy our football and we consume our football um, in ad- individual tranches, you know, um, it's very, very hard. Uh, and also each individual club is different and they're always changing. So you take it, the radical change that you've had at Aberdeen uh, with the previous re- regime, Stuart Millen moving out and, and Dave Cormack moving in, yeah. you know, it sounds like just one individual, but it's a whole different person with a different philosophy, with a different outlook. Um, so a really strong and robust national body and can give advice and experience to the individual fans groups and they feel part of a, a connected network, then we can actually lobby. And one of the things we should say is there should be no club in Scotland that doesn't have a fans representative. You tell us why. You give us a good reason. You know, in the lower leagues with 60% of the revenues coming from fans, why would you actually not one of your super loyal customers on the board channeling the views of the fans back and forward? Why would you not have that? So I think it's it's building capacity, building the confidence, but also uh, some of the smaller clubs also building uh, fans groups to, to actually... Um, uh, have have the confidence to go on and, and do this and it's no easy thing um, there, are, there also is another element to this and I've been involved as the same fans affairs for 10 years, 11 years is there's only a certain amount of us who actually want to get involved in this you know, my firm belief is like 95, 96% of fans just want 3 o'clock on a Saturday to shout on the team to walk up to that ground the way their dad and their granddad is, buy their pine bovril, take their son, shout abuse at the centre forward for missing a chance and and go home and either be very happy or very sad, depending on how we feel on a Saturday night. And, you know, so it leaves a very small percentage of people who care in a wider sphere about the game. You do, because you're doing this. You're willing to support the game. You're talking to fans of other clubs. That, that's fantastic. And the more of that we have and the more people who are willing to put their shoulder to the wheel, the stronger the whole fans thing come. But it's a challenge because the vast majority of fans don't want to be involved in fan politics. And this is what this is about. Yes. So the the big challenge there from what you're saying is that, um, you know, f- fans might think they have a voice, but when it comes to the, um, the nitty gritty, um, they seem to back off a little bit. Is that kind of what you're getting at? And you want them to be more heard? Well, sometimes they back off a bit or sometimes there isn't a structure in place that would actually support them. Right. So, you know, you talk about some of the bigger clubs, um, you know, is there, it's a bit, we'll give you a couple of examples. It's a lot easier if you have one um, 
fans group who's organising everything for a, a club. So we, we mentioned Motherwell. So uh, before the Well Society, there were maybe five or six different fans groups, uh, all with different agendas, all with different remits. Um, uh, but now the main focal point is they've all kind of, some of them might still be there. For example, um, the Motherwell Su- Disabled Supporters Club with a very specific remit, but they all feed into the Well Society, uh, which makes it a bit easier. However, if you go to Celtic or Rangers, where there's maybe 20, 30 different fans organisations and then the politics within them all, and he doesn't talk to him and she doesn't talk to them, it, it can be complex and, and difficult. Uh, the one example I, I often give is, is at Hearts. Hearts were dying a death uh, during the Romanoff eras. I was heavily involved acting as advisor to the Scottish government, trying to help promote what would be the next case. Could they move to community ownership? And this was even before the Foundation of Hearts came along. And I, I did all the preliminary meetings there, uh, helped by David Southern, who was then the chief executive. And I remember going into a room, and I think there was 16 different, 15 or 16 different Harps fans' bodies all sitting around the boardroom table. And, you know, and, and, and David said to me, look, he won't talk to her, and she doesn't talk to him, and they don't like them. And, and that was Harps. Now, fortunately, out of that, the crisis led to a situation where the foundation of Harps was born. And some of those groups have disappeared. And some of them, like the shareholders group or the big hearts group or uh, disabled supporters, are still there. But I've got a, a less of a, not less of a remit, but have a more specific remit. But there's one super group there that the Foundation Hearts, which is now democratic. You can be elected to it. If you're an ordinary fan, a season ticket holder or a pledger, you can end up being on the board of the Hearts Football Club, driving the strategy if that's what you want. So, but. The example is, in lots of clubs, there's lots of different, uh, in the bigger clubs, there's lots of different groups, and that's hard. Further down the food chain, like we've been talking to a couple of guys at Albion Rovers, they've got a supporters trust which should be established 20 years, but quite often, and I'm not saying this is the case at Albion Rovers because we haven't started doing it, but a lot of the smaller clubs like that, it's maybe somebody who's been running it, and it's just been run because no one else is engaged. They've not had support from the centre. They've not had a national body who's helped them. And quite often, it's just stagnated or it's it's a challenge. The Albion Rovers one, he says, look, I want to be part of this. I, I see a challenge here. How do we get the Albion Rovers Supporters Trust to connect with yourself? And we're, we're working in that. Um, some of it, there's just fans organisations that have been out there who just, in this modern environment, just won't cut the mustard. So if you talk to the Morton fans together, you know, when they were looking to buy the club, the supporters trust, which had been there for 25 years, just there wasn't a good history there. The fans didn't feel it represented them. So what they did about like looking at what happened, the mother role and at Hearts and at Dunfermline and Party Thistle, they set up Morton supporters you still there, Paul? You're so, as, as a one entity and starting from scratch. So, so sometimes that new entity is, is is maybe the way to go. Yeah, that that Hearts example is a great one. Um, you mentioned that there's obviously a few different supporters groups with different agendas, but then when it came down to the the club needs saved, 
they'll pull together. Um, obviously, you don't want every other organisation to be in the same position where, like, for example, um, Hibs um, no, are hours away from going under and they're all pulled together that way. But um, just just talk about some of the challenges that you have um, in, in trying to pull individual clubs to say, or fans groups to say, um, there's a goal here, we need you out to pull in one direction, or does it only is it only when it gets to crisis point that that's where that comes in? I, I think historically that's what it's been, and and I think the weaknesses that we've had uh, I've described earlier is like we've just not had resource uh, to allow us to do it. Uh, I'm in a fortunate position. I'm was semi retired. Excuse me, now kind of retired because the furlough and all the kind of stuff the, the consultancies I had have gone. Um, so I, I've got time, but. You need extra resource, you need people out there, and you also need people who are championing things for you. People say, I get that. I, you know, and quite often we've got that from politicians or, um, you know, people at clubs. There's a, there's a lot of clubs kind of see what we're trying to do and think, that's fine, I like this. You know, quite often they will support us, but quite often a lot of the clubs, um, and let's not forget that the combined clubs is the barrier you know is the the Hamden Park you know it's mm-hmm. uh, all those clubs combined the individuals um, within those clubs can can quite often block and, and part of it is they see us as a threat you know if, if for 160 years you've not given your customers a say and suddenly we are waving flags saying we're your customers I know we don't like being called customers but we are super loyal customers and we want a say if you you know the history, the backstory of that is that we will continue to ignore them. What we're experiencing now, and, and partly the community ownership, has driven that. You cannot ignore your customer if your customer actually owns the club. So that dynamic changes. But if you were use a couple of examples, Romanoff at Hearts, Gavin Masterton at Dunfermline, um, you know. You, you could argue, some might argue, Stuart Millen at Aberdeen, where you had all the shares in the basket, you could ignore the fans because you were making the decisions and because of the, the way the game is structured, um, the only way that fans could express a, a, an opinion is either to fly a banner that says Masterton out uh, or something else and you get the shares up to take them away or else stop going. Um it, it, we saw it, it happen. It doesn't happen that often, but we saw it at Kilmarnock during the, the the Johnson campaign, kick Johnson into touch, where in actual fact the the audience, a lot of Kilmarnock fans stopped going. They started to boycott it. Now it's the last and it's extreme measure. We don't want to condone anybody boycotting the thing that we love, it's, mm-hmm. and it's as precious to them as that. But it has happened. It happened also at Hibs with the Petrie out campaign. Um, was that successful? Well, he's now the president of the league, so you could argue it wasn't. But it, 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 all I'm trying to say, paint the picture, is how far, how in the distance it is for us to get to. And because of that combined history for over all the years, um, you know, we now have a dialogue, we have a vehicle. If there is an issue, I can text Neil Doncaster immediately or our chairman who's more likely to do that Andy Smith will send a note to him and say not acceptable what you're doing or we think we need to talk about this so there's a channel there do they willingly open the doors and come in and say 
Um, we're open for radical change because we think that's the right thing to do. The answer is absolutely not, because, you know, the continuum of something that's been there for so long is easier. And uh, why change when, you know, it's easier to continue without change? So I, I think what you see at a national level and then what you bring it down to a club level is one and the same. Um, our, our, our work over the next three months and talking to you just now is at the start of that process is we realise that we can sit and criticise but we've not done enough and we can complain that we've not done enough because we don't have any funding um, we've been offered funding in the past uh, but that funding was coming from betting companies and we th we think as an organisation there is far too much betting in, in, in Scottish football and we have taken a stance against that um, that would have given us money. That money would have allowed us to do things, but you know we've not done it. We still manage to do our fans awards every year, and you know we're delighted that you know John McGinn won it this year, and Andy Robertson the year before, and the players and the managers and the coaches never will love it. Um, and you've had a few interesting ones up at Aberdeen, I think best away support a couple of times. So we're still able to do stuff, but it's been limited. But where we are moving over the next three to six months is with having that more structure in place is getting all those fans groups together and say, look, you continue being, and I pick a name, you know, the Airdrie fans, you can continue being Airdrie fans and what you're doing doesn't affect anything that we are going to try and do nationally. But if you put your shoulder to the wheel and join us, then we've got a far better chance of changing the, the game for the greater good. Are you up for it? Um, just give it, so it's almost like asking for a pledge for their vote for you know be part of this and to get more involved. So we're starting a series of Zoom calls for the fans groups. We're starting the Zoom calls, which is the first one starting tomorrow, uh, for members every month. We're starting to communicate maybe a wee bit more confidently now, and, and you know people are saying you know it's taken us five years to get to this point. But I firmly believe that until we had the infrastructure in place and that we had the capacity, there was no point in doing things half-arsed. You're, you're better doing mm -hmm. it properly. And, and listen, we still have frailties because of the limitations we've got. But over the next few months, we'll be talking to every fans group in Scotland and saying, you know, some of them are there, some of them are joined, some of them haven't. Why have you not joined us? What can we do to change your mind? Do you, do you believe in those things that we talked about at the start? Do you believe Scottish football should be better organised? Yes. Do you believe that fans should say, yes, join us? Um, you know, so we're giving them a bit more of a, a reason to be involved and we're giving them the communication tools that hopefully can drive the messaging forward. Um, and that's, that, that's, that's the kind of plan. Yeah, obviously something that will um, be near the top of your agenda, I'd, I'd imagine, um, would be the the fan situation. I'm sure most football fans, or 99% of football fans, all all agree that they want to get back to games again. Um, it's a sticky subject because you know um, I'm not going to get political. With this. I, the, the Scottish government are in a very difficult position because they've got to try and protect lives, and we've got a virus. You know, cases are going up, etc. I think where the frustration lies from an outset of football point of view is that with two test events at Aberdeen and Ross County plus um, there was a rugby game um, both of those went through without any linked cases to COVID um, but it's, 
all of a sudden the test events were stopped, but you know, things like you can go to the View Cinema in Glasgow and Aberdeen and watch um, Everton versus Liverpool, um, the richest league in the world, but you can't go to like a junior game in an open air with a mask on. I think, um, what from your position from liaison with the, the fans groups, um, where are you, um, at this stage with the, the fa- um, the getting the fans back in, which I appreciate yeah. can take some time. Listen, um, we're lobbying hard. Um, we're talking to the various different political parties to try and put pressure on. Um, we believe that fans could and should be back into grounds uh, if it's done safely. Uh, there were those test events. Um, you know, as you say, that there's, there's not been any major documentation that's come out of them as saying there was any problems. Um, you know, most you know we've seen across Europe. There's been far bigger test events. We've seen, you know, up to 20,000 people get into the Super Cup. Um, you know, so, so we're pushing hard. We, we want fans to get in. But again, we're mindful of the fact that we have to act responsibly. Um, so we're willing to work in tandem with the Scottish government to and try and get fans to be responsible, to think about it, to, you know, get to that position when these things do happen to treat it seriously and most fans did there weren't people turning up without masks there weren't people you know trying to sneak other people in there weren't people taking the masks off and singing songs you know at the end of the day we, we want people back there as soon as possible we you know we have real concerns that we know that the loyalty that drives Scottish football fans behaviour and football fans all over the world is totally unique it's loyal beyond you know pretty much any other uh, type of consumer behaviour because of the way that you're brought up, the way that you're indoctrinated, the way that you can't change your, your team. All those factors are so important. So what our concern is that the longer this pandemic pandemic goes on and the longer the, the chain of the habit that goes along with that loyalty is broken, that just as you said, that there's so many people just desperate to back into games, that there will be a, a whole load of other people who will just sort of think, I can live without this now. And that's either an emotional live without it or else that is an economic live without it because your life has changed, your job's changed, your job no longer exists, your finances have changed. Um, so there's real dangers in there. And if you think of the financial contribution that fans have made, initially in the early stages of the pandemic where there was you know, nearly on £2 million just coming in for donations from fans to not claiming back last season's season ticket, uh, doing GoFundMe pages. I know here um, locally to me, still in Albion, said we want to fund £12,000 in a GoFundMe campaign. They ended up with 36000 wow. You know, part of this whole, you know, we're trying to raise 20000 and ended up with over 200000 You know, there's a massive input from fans, they also bought season tickets. But my, our concern is that the longer this goes without those fans, actually, and it's breaking down what is football. You know, it's that unique uh, component. Uh, and, and you know, and you talk to people at Hamden Park, you talk to many clubs, and they've still not nailed what a football fan is, um, you know, and how he buys or how she buys. Uh, I mean, I'll give you another perfect example. A year and a half ago, we did our first ever insights to women in football, looking at the football audience. 
And, you know, we knew, and, you know, I know from experience of somebody who's 60, who went to the games in the early 60s as a wee boy with my dad, and there weren't any women at football. I can remember one of the first laughs that my dad had with all his mates with me. And I was sitting in the barrier at Fort Hill, and, you know, there was a gap in the play. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, Dad, look down there, there's a woman down there. And it turned out it was the first day there. And that's how rare a woman at a football match was in the 60s. And when we started looking at this, you know, the, the way women are involved in the game, how they're interacting in the game, how many go to the games, how many girls who are playing football maybe now become football fans. As, and, and this is just in the professional game, male game, without looking at the female game. Mm-hmm. We actually asked the question, and it was the BBC asked it of us, said, how many female football fans are in Scotland? And she said, and it was Heather Dewar um, who, who was asked the question to her. I said, Heather, I've no idea. Um, I, I, I said, I think I know how to find out. I said, but have you asked uh, Hampton Park? She said, well, I've asked the SPFL and I've asked the SFA and they don't know. Now, what we were able to tell them was that we'd done the big survey, the benchmarking survey in 2017. 17,500 people responded. Biggest ever fan survey in Europe. And guess what? 8% of them were female. And then when we went to our membership database, which is nearly 30,000, 8% of them are female. So we could then hang our hat out and say, you know what, 8% of the audience in Scotland is female. And the funny thing was, about a year later, um, or six months later, whatever it was, Scotland were having an international match or they were playing a World Cup or whatever. And the very same statistic was then thrown back as that the football audience in Scotland was 8%. And it was our kind of research. And again, it's another important facet of what we want to bring to the party. We want to have that knowledge about who football fans are, what they do, and how we can help the next generation get involved in football and continue to support the you know the game that we love. Yeah, yeah, without it, I mean, this is a, a critical um, period because I think that the reason that the um, the lower leagues put off their season until October were on the basis that they thought that fans would start like start getting back in on a partial crowd basis. Like I was speaking to David um, David Irons a couple of weeks ago, the Stennis Muir manager, and he was saying that 300 that Aberdeen had for that Kilmarnock game that we talked about, um, that would be a great crowd for, for them. But now, we're at z- now it's like zero. It doesn't look as though anything's been done about it. Aberdeen applied for the Celtic game to have a 1,000 people in. It was, they were just told politely no. Um to, I mean, it's again, it's a difficult one, but it's as if it's as if the government, um, the government, um, I'm trying to word, trying to word this carefully. There's almost a, a distrust, and it, it doesn't. They're not explaining why um, it's more of a risk for people to be standing at a football match, space, totally spaced out, compared to like inside a pub. Yeah, I think that's. The issue uh, is not what we've not had the information relayed back to us, and that that, that that's a concern. Um, you know, we know that you know the example you gave about Stenhouse Muir. We, we abs- absolutely, you know, I know the part well. You know, it's, it's 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 four sides. You could you know you could have people dotted around there. Um, albeit there's an element of control there. You need to you know self distance. You're two meters having yourself, but it's just that lack of. Um, information and maybe 
just maybe that's partly due to the fact that if you think back, you know, when we started this conversation over the last nine months, Scottish football's not done itself any favours. You know, it ended up in court, you know, ended up, you know, you know just an absolute mess. Um, you know, maybe it's just that their credibility is such that it's harder for them to get traction, um, you know, in government circles than, you know, what we would like as an Because let's be honest, they're an industry, they're a football industry. Um, and it's also a shame as well that, again, if you look at the individual component parts, that, yes, all united together, we're a stronger entity, but Stenhouse Muir are still in Albion could get something out of this because they're completely different to Celtic or Aberdeen, you know, because of the dynamic and their size. And to, to a certain extent, we're really in the same arguments here that somebody in West Yorkshire could have about the COVID, out, you know, pandemic, the restrictions that have been brought in there when their cases are so low compared with South Yorkshire or, you know, so why is everybody... So it's, it's really difficult. And, you know, I'd like to think... If, and I hope it, goodness sake, it never ever happens again, but if this were to happen in five years again, that we as organisations were better structured and, uh, and were in a better place to actually uh, represent what was going on. Now, the joint research group, I think, that is looking after all these uh, discussions. We actually don't know who's on that. We don't know who's, you know, who's actually having a say on behalf of fans on that, is it clubs? Uh, now, they have they have an economic um, need and desire to have fans back in the thing, but they don't have the same kind of emotional input to this d- debate and discussion that we would have as an organisation from talking to ordinary fans. Um, you know, if it was to happen again in the future, I think we would have learnt, hopefully learnt lessons and we'd be better prepared and we'd be able to lobby better um, to try and get it. Um, but believe me, we're working hard. I mean, we as an organisation tomorrow have got Sir Keir Starmer coming on a Zoom call for our members um, to actually, you know, and that's the kind of questions we're asking. Like, what pressure can you put on? Uh, now, listen, it's got to be done cross-party. We're having the same conversations with SNP ministers, uh, 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 MSPs and Green MSPs and other parties' MSPs to ask the same questions. And we're asking fans to go to their MSP and say, no matter what colour they are, say to them, you know, we want football to be considered. But, you know, you're always fighting against the fact that um, for some, it's a hobby. It's a a less vital, important industry, some might argue. For me, for my mental health, it's highly important. For lots of fans, it is. But in the bigger picture when we're part of all those things, it feels, we feel the pain of the fact that, as you say, we can go and watch, um, you know, a movie at a local cinema, but I can't go and watch my local football team. There's something wrong with that. It doesn't feel right. And again, that's got to go back to the credibility of the organisations and how they lobby and and how effective they have been. Um, So, do I see any change fast. No, I don't. Um, you know, all we can do is to continue to fight and say, you know, let's get fans in, but do it responsibly and be as professionally yeah. we can a- about it and say, we get the picture, we get it. You know. Mm-hmm. 
do you think there'll be something that you can maybe because obviously it's going to be difficult to um, get Jason Leach and Nicholas Sturgeon to um, allow fans back in this weekend when we're potentially looking at another lockdown scenario next week um, or the week after. So it's I think we've got to accept that test events etc might not happen anytime soon. But maybe. Um, if we can get through the next lockdown period um, or whatever they've got pl- plans in place um, as we speak, um, maybe for like, post-Christmas getting into New Year, find a way of saying, right, let's try it gradually and let's start at the lower leagues first because in the top flight for me, that's just a personal opinion, No, I, I'm not generalising, but in the Premier League, um, they've, got, they've got the benefits of Sky TV deal and every club has their own club channel that they've invested a lot of money in and season ticket hold, and they, they make money that way it's more difficult for um, your Stennis, your Albion Rovers um, your Clydes some of them have a TV channel but not all of them do and they don't, because it would need volunteers to run it and are you going to allow a volunteer in um, when all this is going on it's, it's highly doubtful so what do you think um, you guys can help, I know you can't make the change, but try and influence people. Well, I I think the lobbying, I mean, we've got, you know, and fair fair dues to him, I know he's, you know, uh, the the leader of the the opposition and it's it's a national perspective, but, you know, they came to us and said, look, we're interested to hear from a perspective because, you know, know, we know what's happening in England with the football fans, you know, the same kind of challenge, our sister organisation, want fans back into the ground. And they've got a whole host of different problems that are, um, you know, completely off the scale compared with what we have. But on this one issue, uh, so that lobbying will continue. We'll get 15 fans talking to uh, Sir Keir Starmer tomorrow. We'll have got, you know, we'll have another high-profile person on later in the month, and on November one. We'll continue to say to them, look, what else can you do? And it might just be, you know, getting some of the emails from the, the MPs or the MSPs fired into the Scottish government to the sports minister to say, look, you know, help us out here. Um, maybe it's more about focusing on the mental health aspect of it. Yeah. You know, this is so important uh, to fans uh, to get back to, to doing what they did before. It's so important from the economic impact of um, these clubs. Which, and those smaller clubs, let's not forget, the vast majority of them are huge community assets. Yeah. Huge community assets. You know, they're, they're massive. Uh, in terms of what they do, you know, you look at the work that Spartans do or, you know, Steny, the one we've talked about a couple of times, it's massive. The outreach is disproportionate to the size of the organisation. And the fact that all it does is three o'clock or Saturday kick a football about, but that's, again, the credibility, the badge and the stuff that they've been doing for years. So I think it's continued to lobby. It's continued to, kind of, you know, highlight that football can do this. Um, and, Obviously, that you know what you're you're batting against is we could go in there with the pitch. We could have went in last week with the pitch to say let's get some more tests events up, and then you know the R rate changes, and as you said, you know we could be heading for another potential circuit breaker lockdown. It's a moving feast. Yeah, so I mean, hopefully at some point we'll get the fa- um, fans will be able to come back in, as albeit in a safer way. You're right to point out that football's only a small part of society. Um, music music venues aren't opening up just now. Comedy clubs aren't opening up. They're important to people. Um, you know, it's it's a hard juggling act, as I say. That's why I don't want to criticise the government in any way because it is a yeah. difficult situation. But um, I just I just wish that um, that 
more would be considered in terms of football. I just think they were off. Um, it was awful quick. That's just a personal opinion. Um, in terms of your own organisation, just going back to um, to that, um, what kind of support have you had from the media? I listened to one um, sports sound, I think it was a couple of years ago, and I felt as though most of were trying to hear what you said. They were talking over you a lot. But have you had a lot of media support um, since you started it? Um, <clears throat> yes, I mean, and we can't complain. Uh, we really can't. Um, local radio stations are, are, are pretty, you know, when they want to hear it from a fan's perspective. And now that we are there, and we often compare it, if we weren't there, who would they ask um, to get that kind of opinion? Um, and, and quite often, especially issues that are challenging, you know, there's also, you know, fans organisations or individual fans don't want to be quoted on it. So, you know, things like the old firm game, Last last week, you know, getting a Celtic fan, a Rangers fan, getting a balance, we can give a, a perspective and an overview, even down to the fact, the very fact I mentioned Old Firm. You know, there's lots of Old Firm fans say the Old Firm doesn't exist and you don't use that. To, that's from the hundred. You know, so there's all these uh, little nuances. Um, generally speaking, the media has been very strong, very supportive. Um, we've been on. Uh, this week we've been on Radio Scotland three times. Um, we're on Reporting Scotland last week once. Uh, you're right. Uh, I, I do not believe, and I think if I use BBC as a prime example, I don't believe that fans get enough of a say. Um, you know, you have Tam and Stuart, which is a comedy program uh, with a bit of you know fans interaction woven in. Uh, but aside of that, it's only on an issue by issue basis. Um, there isn't anything so focused on fans' affairs, and we believe that you know there's something there for that. And hopefully, this kind of Zoom thing that we're introducing will maybe fill some of that gap. Um, but it is a concern. Um, but overall, you know, everyone in the media know who know who's who we are. Um, you know, do they pick up on what we say? Only when it's something that's so important to them that they need us when we need them for something um it's a bit of a harder push um but i don't think we can complain i, I don't really think we can we've got we've had good traction um you know the last call i had before yourself was a sunday mail we're doing something uh, around issues with te- with streaming at the lower league clubs which is an issue we've had some fans from various different clubs contact us so they wanted an opinion, you know, you know, should they be asking for the money back? Shouldn't they? Uh, how do fans improve it? You know, so again, we can give a holistic view on it. Uh, I can't specifically talk about, you know, what happened at the Dundee United, uh, uh, breaking City Dundee United game. Although we do know that a lot of Dundee United fans say, I'll just keep the money. We'll not ask for it back because you're a wee club and you're a nice club and love the edge. You know, away you go. Um, so, well, media-wise, it could be better. Could always be better, but overall, we're not grumbling. Oh, that's that's good. Um, and we, we're obviously happy to, um, you know, support you as well. Um, just just um, to, just to things off. Um, so for those who um, who who might be interested in, um, in in joining your group, just um, t- just tell us how they, how they go about doing that. It's very easy. You just go to the website, which is Scottish FSA, Scottish FSA.org, um, and uh, click on a join link. It takes 
no more than five minutes. All we ask, we, there's no personal details aside of your name, your email address, what club you support. Um, and we just ask you for a few comments about, you know, your what you think we should be working on. And uh, that, that's it. It's free to join. And you get a weekly newsletter and um, lots of other interesting stuff that we're involved in and opportunities to get involved in research. And, of course, volunteer. If you want to volunteer in some of the projects, we're looking at all sorts of exciting things, uh, everything from a gambling awareness activity right through to looking at football as a tourism venture in Scotland. Um, loads of exciting stuff, loads of people with huge skill sets and some people just who've got a bit of time in their hands who care passionately about the club uh, who want to help. So uh, it's dead easy to do. It takes two minutes and just remember the more of us who are joined you know, the bigger we are and the more influence that we can exert um, in trying to change things for the better of everybody. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll also um, promote that in the blog uh, when we um, when this goes out. Um, so uh, thanks for um, giving us your time about um, telling us more about Scottish Football Sports Association. Um, I, I do hope that you... that. Um, we have fans back in sooner rather than later albeit it's got to be safe um, and that you keep doing the good work and that hopefully there'll be more fans representations on each club board across the country Absolutely, I look forward to talking about that in the future So we'll that for 20-31 Well you're an optimist then eh? I know <laughs> no, Thanks for your time Paul Thanks for the chance and as I say Maybe, you know, next month or a couple of months, whatever, Andy, our chairman, is a good person. He comes from a totally different perspective than myself. And um, he's got some interesting stories as well. So, No, that'd be great. We'll hold you to that, Paul. We'll be in touch. Thanks so much for your time. All the best. Take care. Cheers. Bye. (laughs) 